Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're in Australia, you're probably aware that there's a federal election campaign coming up. Moments like these are where the people can shape politics by voting for the politicians they want. We're going to bring you two episodes about change-making electoral politics. The first one is about how independent, not-for-profit community groups can intervene into elections, telling the story about how GetUp shifted the Tasmanian seat of Bass in the 2016 election. The second chat is with someone who knows all about the role of independence. In Australia, arising out of a community movement in regional Victoria, in the seat of Indi, there is now a national movement of independence seeking to elevate new voices in electoral politics. The 2022 Australian election may have some beige edges, but all elections provide a critical space for shifting how we live together, how we build our economy how we tend to our climate, and how our country works. At Changemakers, we want to explore what it takes for people to make a difference. So, let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Series 6 of Changemakers, the podcast telling stories about people changing the world. As well as long-form episodes like this, we feature Changemaker Chats, which are interviews with changemakers. We are supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. You can find us on Twitter at Changemakers99 and on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast. And you can sign up to our email list at changemakerspodcast.org. What is it that went wrong in Tasmania? A number of factors uh, went uh, against the coalition. First of all, we had get-up spending and bragging about the fact they spent half a million dollars just in the seat of Bass with ten full-time people, besmirching the character of a great Australian servant, Andrew Nikolic. That's Australian Government Senator Erica Betts talking to Emma Alberici on Australia's ABC TV. Today on Changemakers... I'm in Launceston, Tasmania, Australia. We're looking at one of the more remarkable local election campaigns in Australian political history. It's a story about persuasion. But above all, it's a story about place. Because it turns out that if you want to persuade someone, you have to know where they're at and build off that. First, some context. In Australia, they have compulsory voting. On election day, if you don't turn up to a voting booth, you get a small fine in the mail. As a result, turnout averages around 94%. How much of a difference does compulsory voting make to strategy development, do you think? 
Well, I think it, it vastly changed things because we don't have to worry about that key element of whether or not people are going to go to the polls in the first place. Paul Oosting is the national director of a digital campaign group called GetUp. It's a bit like Move On in the US or 38 Degrees in Britain. And full disclosure here, I co-founded GetUp and was on its board for many years. When you have compulsory voting, it means that you have a far greater part of the population that sees politics as relevant to them and can visibly see it as something that they interact with in their everyday life. Kelsey Cook works with Paul. She's in charge of GetUp's election strategy. You do know that the day will come when you've got to decide between one party or another, um, one set of values and another, and who you're willing to support. We get to focus on explaining to people why they should care about the funding of their local school or hospital or why climate change may not feel front of mind when they're going to the poll on a Saturday afternoon and just want to get in and out quickly, but actually why it matters and why it's something they should be thinking about when they go in to vote. So it is about persuasion. It's about putting our issues front and centre and cutting through the noise of the, the big corporate campaigns or the major political parties and getting people to think about their values and the stuff that matters to them. In September 2015, Australia found itself with a new Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. Well, we had a leadership change from a really far-right Conservative leader under Prime Minister Tony Abbott to somebody we expected to be more moderate in Malcolm Turnbull in late 2015. So one of the things we immediately did, which all good member-based organisations should do, is we checked in with our members to see what they thought about Malcolm Turnbull versus Tony Abbott. And we found that a lot of people had um, hopes that Malcolm Turnbull would be a good leader. He'd said positive things in the past about issues like climate change and renewable energy or marriage equality. And so actually when we um, did those surveys, people were optimistic that he might be a good leader. Coming into the beginning of 2016, though, we immediately started to see that he wasn't going to be that leader, that he was still beholden to the hard right of his party or was unwilling to step up and lead in that way. The interesting thing here is that GetUp is widely portrayed in the media as being a left-wing organisation. The party of government was centre-right at best, with hard-right tendencies. It was not the type of party you'd expect a typical left-wing group to engage with. But to the continuing confusion of its opponents, GetUp is a widely misunderstood beast. It wasn't set up to be beholden to any party political agenda. Its actions arise from a set of values and it seeks to act powerfully, taking into account whatever the political context is. And the context facing GetUp in late 2015 was this. The government was only in its first term in office and it was unlikely to be defeated at the next election. So instead of throwing up their hands in despair or simply running a campaign against the government knowing they'd lose... Paul and his campaign team got thinking about the role of the right-wing faction of the government, which they felt was preventing the new Prime Minister from carrying out a range of policies that aligned with GetUp's values. A conversation began inside GetUp. What if, at the next election, they targeted those politicians inside the government from the hard-right faction who were blocking the government from carrying out a more moderate agenda? And so we started to think a lot about the role, particularly of this hard-right faction. Now, there's about four factions in the Liberal Party, depending on who you talk to. And the hard-right one, though, in particular, has been really prominent recently. They've been exerting a lot of power over the direction of our country. And we realised that a number of their members were in marginal seats and therefore our members could potentially have influence over their power. And... Just to paint a picture for why they were a problem, where these people had become such a problem to a progressive Australian. 
The hard right faction have really extreme views which actually go against what the majority of Australians care about. Like one of the issues where we've seen it really blatantly is on the issue of climate change and renewable energy. So the hard right faction has led the charge to try and dismantle renewable energy legislation. Back in 2014 when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister, we saw a 90% crash in investment in renewable energy because of their attacks on the legislation. So they want to see tax cuts to major corporations at the same time. They want to cut funding to our public institutions. Then just days after the new Prime Minister won power, one of the national broadsheets, The Australian, ran an article that made the political context really clear. That list, which was published in The Australian, was one of the clearest demonstrations of how power was operating within the Liberal Party. And the people that stood behind Um, really old-fashioned policies and the people who are willing to see more progress on them, dividing themselves um, in a fairly public way. So that was the political context, but outside the political bubble, talking about the factions in party politics didn't mean much. And anyway, GetUp wasn't interested in educating people about the finer points of factional politics, but they needed a name for the people they were targeting. They didn't want to call them hard right or right wing or anything that sounded too political. They wanted a name that cut through all that jargon. It needed to be a name that described the destructive role that these people were playing. So they decided to call them the blockers. I think it was in in the get-up office we were sat down with a range of climate organisations that we work with and we were just thinking about the role of this hard right. And and so, you know, it wasn't about the ideology, it wasn't about their, their factional allegiance. We wanted to be able to give people a way of picturing how they were stopping us addressing climate change. So the campaign that we designed was mostly intended to demonstrate to the hard right that if they were going to um, back Tony Abbott over Malcolm Turnbull and back everything that Tony Abbott had stood for over Malcolm Turnbull, then that was not the Australia the rest of us wanted to see and that they would need to see the electoral consequences for that. The electoral strategy was set, but how are they going to implement it? In Australia, it's up to the government to decide exactly when it wants to hold an election, and it seemed clear an election was imminent. GetUp needed to move fast if they were going to try this new idea. But they couldn't target everyone. They had to pick a few of the blockers who seemed vulnerable, so they looked into it. Through research, working with academics and journalists, we were able to uncover the role they were playing as factional leaders and and power brokers, people like Andrew Nikolic, who was um, the right-hand man of Tony Abbott. Andrew Nikolic, a power broker whose seat was in the sparsely populated island state of Tasmania, to Australia's south. He held the seat of Bass by a slim enough margin that GetUp thought it might be possible to unseat him. One of GetUp's campaigners, Ellen Roberts, had worked with someone from Tasmania, or Tassie, as Aussies sometimes call it. Her name was Louise Morris. So Ellen rang me to just sound me out about, you know, what I was up to in Tassie and would I be interested in working for Get Up in the Tasmanian campaign, um, which then just turned into a longer conversation about, well, what are you proposing? What does it look like? What are the realistic expectations? The election was likely to be announced any day, but Louise was hesitant. She was pretty upfront with them about what she thought Get Up could achieve in Tasmania. You've not really done anything in Tasmania as a brand, so there's no brand loyalty. So let's actually be pragmatic about levels of engagement and what an effective campaign looks like if you haven't done the relationship building, which is just, you know, as we know, relationships are everything for campaigns, mobilisation and impact. The thing that really grabbed her was, well, she lived there. 
an election in Bass could be very interesting. I live in the area, very aware of how problematic that MP was. He was a block on so many levels in this part of the world and the bullying um, poll that he inflicted over the election was quite extreme. In the end, it was the win-win nature of the strategy that won her over. Even if they didn't manage to unseat Andrew Nikolic, the campaign would have impact. Shifting him or even just putting pressure on if we didn't think we could get him unelected would have longer-term effects. To pick the issues that they should run on, GetUp did what it did every year. How did you identify those um, three big issues that you ran on? So in late February of 2016, we ran a vision survey. And a vision survey is something that GetUp runs most years. Um, It's a big survey that we send out to the full list of the membership and say, what are the issues that you most want us to work upon right now as a movement? What are the things that you want to see us prioritise with the finite resources that we have? And in this vision survey of 2016, we saw um, a couple of issues really come out as the top priority areas for GetUp members. One of them was around health and hospitals and the kinds of funding that people saw as desperately needed for those kinds of services. Another was around climate change and renewables, making sure that um, coal was not prioritised over renewables, for example, and the social safety net and making sure that there's equitable resources or equitable access to resources across different sections of the population. At the time, did you have a thought about which one you thought would be most persuasive? I can remember being in the office on a Sunday, refreshing the page where some of the results were coming in and eagerly watching to see what was winning over the other. And, you know, for a little while there, we saw climate change as the top issue. For a little while, it was health and hospitals. Um, really, these results kept bouncing around between one another as more and more people voted. And I think my suspicion was that we would see climate change come out as the top issue. So with their three issues in hand, GetUp held about 100 get-togethers across the country. Get-togethers are where people meet with their neighbours in homes, meeting halls, schools, cafes and even the occasional pub. Coming out of this, a whole new narrative started emerging. People really were very conscious that when you've got a democracy in which uh, the coal industry has a close relationship to a government and where big businesses get tax breaks from the government, you've got something that's functioning to prioritise big businesses over everyday people. And so one of the key things that came out of these get-togethers around the country was get-up members saying beyond just putting these issues on the agenda, we really want to start breaking down that relationship between big business and the government and make sure that our voices can be more present. Paul and Kelsey decided to make a video about the process they'd just gone through. Paul and I went down to the local park, brought down a videographer with us, and in parts we filmed this strategy, which was about getting these issues on the agenda and making sure that this narrative about the relationship between business and government was one of the central parts of the election campaign. So it was a real bottom-up strategy. Yeah, there was a real beautiful sense in the get-together that I was present in in, um, in Warringah that this was a group of people who knew that it wasn't necessarily just their local politics that they wanted to have an impact on. It was really about, let's make this a national campaign. Let's make this about some of the bigger issues that we, you know, historically have found it so hard to tackle. The video they made did something you just don't see that often in politics. It explicitly outlined the strategy they'd been talking about internally. 
This election, we're taking the power back. So here's how we'll do it. First, we'll put the issues you've voted as our movement's priority front and centre of the political agenda. Second, we'll go after the powerful block of hard-right politicians holding back our nation's progress. They're the ones who do the bidding of big business, the coal lobby and right-wing groups like the Institute of Public Affairs. Down in Tasmania, Louise Morris was impressed. What resonated incredibly well with that broader brief is that Paul and Kels were being gutsy enough to scope, hey, here's our strategy. It wasn't a smoke and mirrors, cloak and dagger, we're being too clever for our own good type, you know, NGO campaign into an election. So people were interested and excited by the fact that GetUp was prepared to go, hey, here's a video. This is what we're planning on doing. We're just going to take them head on and it may or may not work. Actually, it'll probably work better if you join us. And I think being that vulnerable in an opening salvo from a campaign was a big risk, but I think a risk that worked well and paid off. It actually gave the room for that conversation of you need to be brave. This is a time for bravery. So the initial video went well, but Louise was worried. How do you roll out a national campaign in Tasmania? As a small island state, they're very sensitive about mainlanders telling them what to do. So, you know, for, for Tasmanians, there's often um, an antipathy towards mainlanders, people from the big island. Um, for people in northern Tasmania, there's often a bit of a sense of distrust of people from southern Tasmania, a sense of competition or, you know, people in southern Tasmania get all the, the benefits of government policy. And so there's that, that localism is something that you need to really think about. So if you're you know, a central, centrally-based organisation in major capital cities, are you going to be trusted? Are people going to want to listen to you? And so that's something that we had to think about with Bass and is one of the reasons why we hired a very small um, staff-based team of a couple of people to be based in Launceston who were from Launceston because they would understand the community. They would understand the issues and the way that people were grappling with the local member of parliament or the local hospital or or just the local newspaper or, you know, um, the weather. It was frigging cold during this election campaign and we were asking people to go out door knocking when it was like, you know, getting down to zero in the mornings. At the start, they tried running on the issue that had topped their member survey nationally, climate change. It was something that GetUp was well known for campaigning on. The idea was that people could write messages on a GetUp branded piece of cardboard and post a photo of themselves to Facebook, a classic 2016 digital campaign technique that worked in the big cities. For some reason, their initial attempts fell flat in Bass's only major centre, Launceston, a city of about 100,000 people. In fact, to get traction with it, they went so far as to go into shopping centres and prompt people to take photos with other props to share on their own networks. At head office, while the initial video had done well, there was an awareness that some of the national messages weren't cutting through. For Louise, there was a very obvious reason that this was the case. A few things that were done of sending through image and video that were clearly not from here and a few people's like, oh, but it's a tree, it's a whatever. It's like, yeah, but if, if you live in Tassie, you know instinctively the, the colour palette of the place and when you see a mainland glowing, say, blue gum with someone doing a thing over it, you know that sky is not your sky, you know that colour scheme is not yours. So all that semiotic triggering is doing the exact opposite of what you need. Back at head office in Sydney, there was a dawning realisation that the local campaign needed the space to listen to its local volunteers. So my understanding is, is that there was the presentation of the strategy and then as it began to be implemented, 
there were some problems that were uncovered with the initial issue framework. Is this, is this ringing true for your experience? I mean, I think every election campaign is a balance of, you know, adapting every given hour and day. I, 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 otherwise you're not really listening, right? No, yeah. yeah. I mean, is the question what are some of the difficulties you had in Bass? Is that... Oh, yeah, how it didn't... How maybe the, those three issues weren't necessarily the right issues for Bass. Yeah. Meanwhile... It was becoming clear on the ground what mattered to locals, people like Alison Giles, a school teacher and get-up volunteer. I mean, to me, what's interesting as well is that for this electorate, it was in many ways it was an election about Nicolich, right, as opposed to the national campaign. Like, how important was the local personality and the local place to this election? Oh, it was, it was, the, it was the swinger. That was the thing. It was absolutely about Nicolich. And it united all the other groups, you know, the other groups came together to get rid of Nikolic. Hilariously, while GetUp had dubbed Nikolic as a blocker for his role in preventing progressive change, it turned out that Nikolic was known as a blocker in Bass for an entirely different reason. He was known as a blocker. Why was he called a blocker? He wouldn't listen to people either face-to-face or via email or through social media. Social media particularly, as soon as somebody said something he didn't like, he would block them. He blocked, uh, obviously I was blocked, he'd blocked friends, he'd blocked children, he'd blocked teenagers and he blocked people for asking questions. The people I know who were blocked had not said anything abusive, had not said anything insulting, they were just asking questions. And it happened almost instantaneously. We sat here one afternoon and he'd had a photo of himself taken in front of some uh, something he'd funded, some gates I think, and somebody I I knew had typed, oh, they're lovely gates, but wouldn't that money have been, you know, well used in education? And that person was then blocked. So I got somebody else to then comment, that got blocked. Somebody else commented, they got blocked. It was so, it was so quick. A friend of mine was in Darwin and he was talking to people about our local member. And he said, look, I'll show you what he does. And he got his phone up, asked a question to Andrew Nicolick, and then refreshed the page. And by the time he'd re- refreshed the page four times, he'd been blocked. How were you able to use that style of personality um, against him in the campaign? It was perfect. Because he wouldn't listen to us, that gave us the excuse to, firstly, to make more noise. When Nikolic blocked, the campaign listened. Lots of people had stories about Andrew Nikolic. Maybe this was the local issue that Louise Morris had been looking for. They went to shopping centres and rolled out specially themed listening posts where they'd created an Andrew Nikolic puppet for people who wanted to say something to their local member. So we kind of created these Facebook events of, so your MP won't listen to you? Come down to, you know, blah, blah, Brisbane Street Mall, 11.30 to 12.30 and speak with Andrew Nikolic and we'd have a little prep photo of the Nikolic head at a table with the red carpet and, you know, I've been blocked by Andrew Nikolic. And people would actually, after the first one where they were a bit wary, people were bringing their friends to the next one and then one after that and sitting down and actually having cathartic events at this puppet head and to the point where it became the norm after that if we always had someone with the person in the puppet head just go, ah, it's actually not Andrew, where they would just vent and it was the most amazing thing to watch. And we also created an I've Been Blocked by Andrew Nikolic Facebook page. And part of our on-the-ground engagement with that was the head would be out there and we created a, um, a A2, A1 
version of his Facebook profile page with a whiteboard section under it where people could actually write what they wanted to write on his Facebook page but got blocked. So people would write it on this hard copy Facebook page, take a photo of it, and then they could post it to social media. So it started getting around his blocks. And that's actually really where the Get Up campaign kind of occupied a space no one else was doing. We were playing with the digital media space, realising that Facebook actually has a really good reach in Bass. Older demographic, like Facebook. The local campaign had found its own take on the original national campaign technique that had flopped when it was about climate change. But as people vented to the puppet Andrew Nikolic and his hard copy Facebook page, another issue started emerging. Rage of, you know, whether it was my grandmother spent two days at the Launceston General Hospital emergency room with a whatever, whatever, because there's not enough nurses, you've defunded this, blah, 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 blah. The Launceston General Hospital. Over and over, as voters came to vent, the thing they'd talked to fake Nikolic about was their frustrations with the local healthcare system. It was like a weird live-action poll. It turned out that in this electorate, the local hospital was particularly stretched because you had a lot of older people. And a demographic in Bath who, you know, are largely not able to have private health insurance, so they're not going to go to the Calvary Hospital. They all have people they know or are related to who've had a less than stellar experience with the public health system and the LGH at that time with its ramp-up waiting times. Um, And Nikolic, his response was always tone deaf. He was really bad at actually responding to public concerns in a considered compassionate way, especially, you know, health being such a hugely personal issue. That's not his strength. The local team decided to shift its emphasis to healthcare. Anna Povey was one of GetUp's local volunteers. An early strategic decision in their campaign was to choose to focus on issues like the hospital and healthcare and to not really spend much time focusing on issues like climate change. Mm. From your experience of, be, of living here, why do, do you think that that was a strategic decision and if so, why? You know, and, and especially in a town like Launceston, you know, you feel pretty attached to your institutions that help you out. So something like the hospital, we all really love and respect it and to see it getting ground down and hearing the stories about the staff getting overwhelmed and, um, you know, it upsets people. And um, so I think, you know, it was always going to resonate better than climate change. It's not at the forefront of their minds and it astonishes me because I'm incredibly worried about it. I think anyone who's thought about it deeply is. But it just seems to be too difficult for people to get their heads around. So I can understand get up making that strategic decision. Hospitals is something people understand and climate change isn't. So they now had the measure of their opponent and that identified the issue they thought could unseat him. The question became, how do you bring that issue to life? Back in a moment. This podcast is supported by GetUp. You might know GetUp from their emails, but nowadays they're so much more than that. But don't take it from me. Let's hear what Australian Senator Eric Abetz has to say about them. We have these grubs going around the electorate besmirching his character. That's right. GetUp is actively getting up the nose of all the right people. And how are they doing this? By mobilising one million members across Australia. It's given me a whole new lease of life because... I feel I'm actually able to make a difference. If you want to have real impact, visit getup.org.au and sign up today. This podcast is supported by the Stop Adani campaign. 
The multinational conglomerate Adani is wanting to open up a huge swathe of land in the Australian state of Queensland to coal mining, digging up up to 60 million tonnes of coal every year for the next 60 years. If it goes ahead, it could end up being one of the biggest coal export ventures in the world and the biggest coal mine ever in Australia. It'll unleash more carbon pollution than the planet can handle. In fact, if the world has any chance of mitigating the impact of climate change, we have to keep that coal in the ground. Luckily, it can be stopped. Already, thanks to the Stop Adani campaign, major banks and governments have withdrawn support from this risky project. But there's still more to do. Visit stopadani.com and get involved now. The future of the planet depends on it. Welcome back. GetUp had a plan to make healthcare the issue in the seat of Bass. People here, are they used to be a little bit more extreme, I guess. Michael Fox is a doctor who lives in Launceston and works as a GP there. Be the rednecks and the greenies, but I think... I'm not sure if it's the passage of time or that you get to know people better, but you realise that there's not such a big division really, um, that lots of people um, can be passionate about the environment and still work, you know, in industries that perhaps aren't so environmentally or have environmental consequences. Yeah, so it would make issues like climate change tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think climate change seems tricky for the whole world to get their head around at the moment. For Michael, the underfunding of the hospital system wasn't just some theoretical concern. He saw the consequences of it in front of him every single day. Well, I mean, even currently at the moment, I have a young fellow who um, uh, we did a biopsy on and um, it showed that he's got uh, a cancer um, in one of the glands of the neck and... So, you know, he's 24, he's young, he's got the whole of his life ahead of him. And so I found that out on Monday. Um, I saw him on Tuesday. Um, I rang around some of the specialists um, to see when we could get him in. And some of them I can't get him seen for uh, four months. Um, the earliest I can probably get him in is in about three or four weeks. Um, and, and that's... You know, um, and that's because they're going, well, I've got other patients with cancer too, you know, um, and they've got breast cancer or they've got whatever and I need, need to see them as well. So you just have to wait. Wow. It's just not enough no, doctors, yeah. not enough people. Yeah, there's not. We're, we're really struggling for, for some um, specialties in Launceston. Um, and then the... That it can be even more frustrating because when I talk to some of my specialist friends, they go, well, I've actually got spare time on my hands, but I don't have access to a theatre to operate in because oh. there's not the nursing staff or the anaesthetists or the bed space in the hospital to care for this person after I've done the operation. So Michael was a concerned local doctor and he was already a member of GetUp. So when did you join GetUp? Um, I was trying to remember that. It's it's probably back around 2010 or 11. Um, I, I mean, I like the idea of Get Up, for, I think, from an early stage. I like the idea of people having input into it, of having a way to put your thoughts to um, parliamentarians. So, yeah, I did lots of signing online petitions and things like that. So had you ever done anything political before? No. Um, no, not not really. Um, I've been to a few rallies. You know, we had the pulp mill here issue. 
The pulp mill was a hot issue amongst environmentalists a few years ago. You know, we'd go along and, um, you know, wave our flags and cheer and whatnot. Um, but no, I'm not really a... Um, an activist in that sense, I guess. An online way of, of engaging in politics to start with probably sounds perfect for you. Mm, yeah, you know, it's it's easy enough to do. It's not a huge time or um, energy commitment, um, but you can feel like you're making a difference, I guess, yeah. And so how did it escalate? So you start, you're, you're signing on petitions, you're enjoying it, you're donating a little bit of money. Mm. Um, what... How did that shift over time or when did that shift over time? Um, really, I guess the big shift was this campaign. I mean, uh, Andrew Nikolic had just seen like such a bad representative for our electorate. Um, he didn't really seem to listen to people. He had some fairly far right wing ideas that I found really quite distasteful. And so then when GetUp provided a uh, a vehicle for us to be able to do something about that. That was really um, the key, I guess. So we got an email from GetUp um, and they said, look, do you want to become engaged? We can we can have simple things that you can do that are pretty easy, won't take up a lot of your time. I thought, sure, let's, let's be involved in that. So we went along to the first meeting and there was, I don't know, half a dozen of us. Louise Morris and Holly Dawson from GetUp were there. And they said, look, you know, here's half a dozen things you can do. Which of these would suit you? Um, and I went, oh, OK, oh, I, can, I can do that. That's pretty easy. The task that Michael chose to do was a letter-writing campaign to send letters to the local newspapers. So do you remember how you felt when you walked out of the room, got in your car and we're going to come home? We got on our bikes and we rode home uh, together and we are just having a bit of a chat as we rode. And I, I think Anna was pretty excited about the whole idea. I was thinking, well, I'm not sure that this is going to make much of an impact really. You know, there's a few of us. Um, when I look at Andrew Nikolic's advertising, you know, he had signs everywhere. He had billboard posters throughout all of the streets of Launceston. Um, it just seemed, you know, like we were just this overwhelming machine that we we're trying to fight with um, little sticks and stones. They started implementing their plan. Michael started writing to the newspapers and then he started talking on the radio about his experiences with the healthcare system. Louise asked him whether he'd be interested in recording some radio ads for GetUp. And so then I did a, a couple of 20-second voiceovers on the radio about... Um, really about hospital issues and healthcare stuff. And that was kind of interesting because I don't know if it's coming across in this interview, but apparently I talk very slowly. And Well, <laughs> easy to understand. Yes. But for a 20-second grab on the radio, it, it doesn't work very well. And so I'd written down, you know, half a dozen sentences of things that I thought were relevant or worth talking about. And the first time I said them, they took me about 40 seconds and I spoke a bit faster and I got down to about 30 seconds. <laughs> and then I just had to talk faster and faster and faster until I could say it in 20 seconds. The radio ads got played. It was really interesting for me to get feedback from that. So my patients came up to me and they said, oh, look, I heard you on the radio. I think that's great. I, you know, I really support what you're doing. Thanks for saying that. And that was a real eye-opener for me, you know, I, um, 
because most of my patients are, are pretty conservative. They're generally older people. Yes. We can all relate to you because <laughs> yeah. we all go see you when we get sick. <laughs> yeah. So you did the radio spots. Mm. Then how did it increase or why did it increase? Um, so then um, around that time there'd been a petition going around um, for people to sign just saying essentially we're concerned about our healthcare system and we'd like you to do something about it. But there'd been a real problem with giving um, stuff to Andrew Nikolic in the past. People had given him positions and he essentially torn them up, thrown them away, ignored them, um, not not been in his office even when he was in his office to receive them. So Louise thought, well, if we can give it this to him, one from somebody who's legitimate, you know, um, and two in such a way that um, he has to take it, then that would be a, a good strategy. They got together the petition. They decided to ambush Nikolic in the mall, where a radio station was staging an outside broadcast, knowing he'd be there doing an interview. So we were hanging out on the, in the street, trying to look discreet, um, like we weren't planning something. And there was a number of people being interviewed, and then finally Andrew Nikolic um, had an interview and was talking to Leon. So I kind of um, worked my way through the crowd because there was a whole lot of Nikolic people around the crowd at the time. The plan was for Michael to step forward straight after Nikolic had done his interview and hand him the petition. But I, my timing was not quite right. So he had moved forward from that point and the cameras were focused on Leon. And um, I leant forward to shake his hand. I was dressed in my doctor wear, you know, I had a tie on and, you know, appropriately clothed. And I must have looked a lot like a Liberal Party voter. So he smiled at me, stepped forward to shake my hand in a very happy, you know, greeting a comrade kind of way and then I shook his hand and held out the petition to him and said what it was. I don't think he quite understood what it was about at that moment but he looked at the title and then he dropped my hand, turned his back to me, almost threw the petition to the ground and and just dismissed me. Um, and I, I was just a bit shocked because, uh, you know, I thought, oh, he would at least go, oh, thank you for that and, you know, I'll, I'll address it when I can or whatever. Unfortunately, because Michael got his timing wrong, none of it had been caught by the news cameras. But luckily Holly had caught it all on her little hand camera and, and it was just perfect, you know, we're all in focus and you could see the way he responded to me. Um, and so, so I thought, oh, well, that's good, but what do we do with that? You know, it's, it's not going to go on to TV. It's, um, it's going to disappear. And all that will happen is that I'll know what Andrew Nikolic is like because it was the first time I'd ever met him. Deflated, they sat down and had a coffee. A few days later, Louise Morris called Michael. Up a few days later and she said, oh, look, I've had a look at the video that Holly did and it looks really good. I'd like you to come in and just talk about that uh, moment um, and we'll show some video of you and then we'll just put that up on YouTube. And so we sat down and we did that and then it went up on YouTube and, and then I didn't pay any more attention to it really until a few days later and somebody said, oh, I saw you on YouTube. And I said, oh, really? Um, I'll have to go and have a look at that. 
And I had a look and it had, I don't know, 10,000 views at that point already. And I was going, oh, wow, that's amazing. And even while I was looking at it, the views were going up. Today I presented Andrew Nikolic with a petition to help save our hospital. He's voted for over $54 billion worth of cuts from our hospitals nationwide, over $300 million to our local hospital. This is going to cause enormous grief for every person in Launceston. If he can't vote to save our hospitals, why should we vote for him? The video didn't get any coverage on television, but it didn't matter. As a seat, Bass has one of the highest uses of social media in the country. And certainly, you know, in my work, I had, again, heaps more people coming up to me and going, oh, look, I saw that YouTube video. Um, that's fantastic. Thanks for doing that. And it was probably a slightly different age group. I, I probably had more younger people coming up and talking to me after that compared to the radio interviews. It was the video of the election. It was Get Up's single most watched video in the Bass campaign. Meanwhile, back at the national office, Paul and Kelsey were trying to work out how best they could contribute to the Bass campaign. Their digital team was helping amplify the efforts on the ground, but what else could they do? One thing the team was not getting much joy from was the hard slog of making phone calls to swinging voters, what's known as phone banking. Phone banking people weren't that passionate about, and middle of winter, it's a killer in a town where it gets cold and dark and frosty very quickly. And we also had a really old age-wise um, volley base. The average age is probably about 55 to 60. So we were very aware of people's physical comfort zones. All the research that GetUp had done showed that phone banking is one of the most effective ways to shift people's opinions in an election. So National Office decided to deploy its resources to phone into the seat of Bass. It was like Louise and Holly were running a ground campaign and Paul and Kelsey were backing it up with an air campaign. Phone banking was an average twice a week, but because the turnout was so low and, you know, it, we really struggled with keeping people trained up and focused. But there was a huge question mark over whether it would work. Well, one of the starting assumptions that was out there, less so within GetUp, but um, others were concerned that people making um, calls from nationally-based um, places like Melbourne or Sydney might not be able to connect with people in areas like regional Tasmania or um, uh, Queensland and so forth. And so one of the big lessons for me was that we can, uh, that I think there's a real commonality there when we're having real unscripted conversations about issues we're passionate about. So it comes back to that issue crossover. When you find that crossover in the Venn diagram between what the, the swing voter, a real person in a real community, sitting in a real house of an evening, probably trying to make dinner, and when you can connect their concerns with somebody else, I think we find that that cuts through the political hype, that cuts through um, the advertising campaigns of the big corporates and the major political parties and the people can connect. And so often these conversations, one of the things that surprised me would last for 20 or 40 minutes because people were actually having a real conversation about something they were passionate about. The trick was finding an issue that a city dweller from Sydney was passionate about enough to volunteer their evenings and yet would connect with a voter in Bass. 
It was a thin needle to thread. Our campaign was largely led by hundreds and if not thousands of individuals making phone calls, for instance, and if they don't, if they're not passionate about the issue they're calling on, probably they wouldn't make the call. So we have to find that that sweet spot, that sort of crossover in the Venn diagram where it's an issue that our base and our members care about but also is going to resonate with those swing voters and that's the challenge. And we don't always find that, but in Bass we did on the issue of um, hospital funding. Megan Quinn was a Sydney volunteer for GetUp who helped run the phone banking into Bass. Well, to be honest, the actual, like the strategy, I thought it was a great idea, but the actual, the implementation of the strategy, like the phoning people and talking to them, that didn't appeal to me at all. (laughs) I'm the last person that would just go, yeah, okay, I'll, you know, call a stranger and talk to them about politics. But... You know, we'd been told that it's really effective and um, they seemed to know what they were talking about. And when I started doing it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. You know, when people realise that you actually want to listen to them and their political views, they, they're quite happy to talk and, you know, they'll rabbit on for ages about their political views if you, you know, if you let them. And um, and it's, I had some really interesting conversations with people. Michael and Louise and Holly and all the volunteers had done all they could on the ground and the National Office had provided crucial air support. Now it was up to the voters. It is now 6pm on the East Coast and that means polling places from Thursday Island in far north Queensland to Southport at the bottom of Tasmania are now closing their doors. Andrew Nikolic held the seat by 4%, which made it one of the 10 most marginal seats in the country, but by no means the most marginal. In an election where the government was likely to be returned, an incumbent candidate could have seen off a normal challenge, especially with the resources that had been supplied to him by his party. But this was not a normal challenge. We were pretty mainstream and, you know, the Michaels, Dr Michaels of the world, it was teachers, doctors, uh, blue-collar workers, a lot of retirees who were the ones we were dealing with. It wasn't young, lefty, latte-sipping insta-types at all. It was a campaign distinct in Australia's history that mixed the resources and know-how of a national organisation with on-the-ground local concerns and spokespeople. The dynamic between the national and the local place, online and offline, all fed into each other. The campaign couldn't have happened without national resources. But with only national resources, they would have run on the wrong issues. It required locals who knew the lay of the land to know that the local hospital was the hottest issue. The local action was most effective when it was offline, at local listening posts, for instance. But that offline action was amplified when it was posted online, like with the video. The whole campaign was built out of a local place, but it was the dynamics around it. National phone banking, local listening posts, nationally funded local organisers that made it so successful. On top of that, it was done outside the party system, something which saw them almost completely written out of the moment they'd spent months working towards, with the immediate credit going to the opposition Labor Party, who benefited from the campaign. All right, now to Tasmania, where the night, uh, where one of the great stories of the night for the Labor Party was the fall of all three of the Liberal seats there to Bass. Tasmania is, uh, has the strongest history of being a Labor state over the decades and uh, it seems to have come roaring back at this election somewhat unexpectedly. Um, that's an enormous 10.6% swing. That's election analyst Anthony Green announcing the result on Australia's national broadcaster, the ABC. The result surprised him. It seems no one had factored in the role of get-up. Online stuff is nice, but it, you don't 
well, I don't really engage with it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a peripheral thing. Remember, this is Michael, who first came to Get Up through its online campaigns. It's a ticker box kind of thing often, but I think when you actually get out there and do something and you relate to people directly, that has more of an impact. So what happened to the blockers? Kelsey Cook says they weren't pleased. Yeah, well, I mean, they got angry, first of all. I think we saw in the days after the election some very frustrated people who had, I guess they'd heard about the Get Up campaign and in the immediate aftermath of the election, we could see that Andrew Nicolich had lost his seat um, quite demonstrably. He'd lost it very early on during the election counting um, on July 2. A lot of them were out there on TV talking about the Get Up campaign and really trying to paint it with an ugly brush. What is it that went wrong in Tasmania? A number of factors uh, went uh, against the coalition. First of all, we had get-up spending and bragging about the fact they spent half a million dollars just in the seat of Bass with ten full-time people, besmirching the character of a great Australian servant, Andrew Nikolic. There had been an enormous swing that was otherwise unexplained. They could see that the get-up campaign had had impact in those areas. If they'd been laughing at us before, all of a sudden they were taking us pretty seriously as a movement. And to me, it was an excellent sign that GetUp members had been taken seriously in the election beyond anything else. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all of our episodes. This is now season six, so there's plenty to be inspired by in our back catalogue. This episode was written by Charles Firth. Our audio producer is Jules Bookerer, and our digital manager is Lachlan Hodson. Our sponsoring organisation is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers, and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to check out our Changemakers Organising School if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking.